Hello ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. My name's Dave and I'll be your host this evening. I'm really pleased that you could all join me here downstairs at the Leicester Square Theatre. Next up we have Alison Thea Scott as Margaret. for Elizabeth Duke jewellery and lawnmowers. <laughs> you see, my childhood is one long list of being left behind. The hit Hollywood movie Home Alone is actually based on my memoirs. <laughs> Apart from one or two details, it's quite a faithful adaptation. Of course, had I known the damage it would do, I would never have hit Harry and Marv with those two tins of paint. The poor men are quite, quite brain damaged. <laughs> Can I just say for the record that Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, was nothing to do with me? <laughs> I mean, what a load of baloney. <laughs> Ironically, that is a line that Macaulay Culkin's character Kevin says in the film. <laughs> yes, we don't speak anymore. After the, whole, <laughs> after the whole Home Alone episode, my parents sent me to boarding school, naturally, where I continued to be left behind. I believe my lowest moment was during the school play, The Nativity. I was cast as Mary, because I was considered the most virginal. <laughs> they took that decision after the embarrassment of the year before when they cast Slaggy Sam Bridges as Mary. Well, she had a pot belly, you see, so they thought she was perfect. Turns out, wasn't a pot belly, she was actually pregnant! Her waters broke on the way to Bethlehem, and the angel Gabriel had to act as midwife. <laughs> oh, good times. <laughs> and then, at Oxford, I met Julian, the one person who I knew would never leave me behind. But I'll never forget the last time I saw him. <laughs> Backing out of the bank, face disfigured by the left leg of one of my flesh-coloured 30 dernier tights, kissing me with one hand and shooting aimlessly at the police with the other. <laughs> Ladies, some advice. 
Think long and hard before you marry a bank robber. Sure, it might seem like the romantic ideal, and sometimes it is, you know, holding up small branches of the Nat West in provincial northern towns, just you and him, and the getaway driver, and the innocent customers, and the terrified cashier, and crazy Tony. <laughs> And the other terrified cashier and Crazy Tony's wife Marjorie and Barry the Legs and Barry the Legs' wife Betty. I'll come back for you, he said. And then he left. And then he came back and said, you know, having thought about it, I won't come back for you. I'll just send you a text or something. And then he left. And then he came back and said, actually, I'm out of credit. So I'll just get Betty the Legs to send you an email. She's good at that kind of thing. And with that, he was gone leaving me in the hands of the police outside HSBC Dewsbury. <laughs> but he'll be back. Now I've served my sentence, he'll be back. And they'll be back, won't they? <laughs> yes, they'll be back, surely. <laughs> and, uh, oh, oh yeah. are you blacking out on me as well? <laughs> oh, but you'll be back, won't you? You're coming back. Yes, you wouldn't leave me behind. <laughs> Find out more about Alison and what she does at uh, www.alisontheascott.com. That's T H E A S K O T, if you were wondering. So now I'd like to welcome back the Dave to the stage. Can you give the Dave a round of applause? Okay, so this is a song that I wrote for a duo that I'm in called The Reactionaries. We're going to play the last song. We always play the last song at Stand Up Tragedy. This song is about your favourite computer game character, your favourite platform game <laughs> character. <laughs> Tragically, I'm tying myself in knots. Right. So, picture your favourite <laughs> platform game character. Forgotten me, they have forgotten. 
some creative non-fiction from Natalie Hurahan. Uh, Natalie is currently living and writing a year-long blog experiment where she attempts to put a stop to her financial fuckwittery. Uh, you can follow it at countingzeros.wordpress.com uh, and please welcome Natalie to the stage. <laughs> Um, when I first volunteered to share a true story for tonight's show, it was because someone else was going to stand up and read it. <laughs> someone else was going to be me. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it. <laughs> On a bad day, this would be enough of a tragedy for me to justify sitting back down. Um, thinking too much can be bad for you. People who feel the need to point this out are annoying. <laughs> They're annoying because thinking too much isn't a choice. It's a condition. Some of us are born this way, and then we get a lot worse. This is the subject of my cautionary tale, thinking too much. There was a time in my life when I suffered a bout of overthinking so virulent that it took me the better part of five years to shut it down. This lengthy thought attack was triggered by a doomed relationship, one that had decided to take the slow road to doom despite the fact that the highway had excellent signposts. The trouble with a doomed relationship, one where the entire audience knows the outcome, where only the pair involved are deceived into thinking things could work out, is that the brain misunderstands the situation. The brain believes that a doomed relationship is a riddle to be solved. And whenever the brain thinks it's in the throes of a life-altering riddle, it will be relentless in its hunt for the answer. But as I said, the brain misunderstood the situation. Doomed relationships are not riddles, they are facts. And like a cat that has chased its own tail until it collapsed with dizziness and suffered a fatal heart attack, this is the sort of fact disguised as riddle that triggers an intensity of overthinking which can kill you, eventually. And so at the outset of this five-year phase of way too much thinking, I attempted to maintain my sanity in the following ways. I engaged in workaholic tendencies. I went to the gym every day, sometimes twice. I went back to college to get a degree in psychology. Unfortunately, in between the gym and the office and college, there was still anywhere between three and 3.5 hours left over each day. <laughs> and these needed to be wiped out to prevent life-threatening levels of overthought. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking where in the schedule was there time for a doomed relationship because doomed relationships are very time-consuming. <laughs> but mine mostly wasn't. It survived on chain texting, on phone calls that lasted late into the night, and very occasionally a highly charged encounter. Our contact was sporadic. Worse, I wasn't able to predict or control when it might happen. 
which if you know anything about casinos, is how they're designed too. Intermittent reinforcement, that's what it's called. It involves the random arrival of rewards, and this is the sort of dynamic that lies at the heart of our most addictive behaviors. Because our lovesick relationship was exhausting <clears throat> and morally wrong, we continued to lie to ourselves that, that it was over when it wasn't, or if it was, it involved 10 different sequels. Which is to say that we accidentally designed our relation, relationship to be casino-like. Long periods of intense suffering punctuated by bells and whistles and lights and euphoria. When the word doom finally occurred to us, it only seemed to make the tortured situation seem all the more romantic. We should have consulted the dictionary. Doom means death, or definition number two, impending severe problem. Because working and studying and exercising weren't enough to distract me from overthinking the reality of the situation, I started to self-medicate. This is what all living things with a brain will seek to do under such circumstances. It's like that experiment with the puppies. After being forcibly removed from their mother, they wouldn't stop crying, and so the people in white coats started feeding them sugar, which is how we learned that sugar numbs emotional pain. Well, I didn't know about the puppies at the time, so I didn't realize all I needed was a box of donuts. <laughs> Instead, I reached for something that proved far more dangerous to me. Ever since I was a kid, I've always been an overanalyzer, a relentless goal setter, someone with a tendency towards book binging who also likes to number things. And what's the one thing that someone with this particular profile should avoid? The self-help section of the bookshop. <laughs> That's what. Reading self-help when you're already an overanalyzing goal setter who book binges and takes pleasure in numbering things produces a personality gone too far. <laughs> Which is exactly what happened. I was genre attacked. <laughs> Twelve steps, seven principles, three guidelines, 452 daily affirmations, countless made-up personality tests. I'd already lost my mind to love, so I handed over the emptied vessel to anyone who published a book with a garish front cover which told me what to do, how to live, where to start. Within days of discovering that self-help eased my mind, I went into a reading frenzy, and I started reaching for it indiscriminately several times a day. <clears throat> self-help became my morphine. Stop thinking and start living. Feel the fear and do it anyway. 50 self-help classics, the road less traveled, women who think too much. The irony wasn't lost to me, but I just couldn't help myself. Amazon offers over a quarter of a million self-help titles to choose from. People say it's a postmodern epidemic, one where truly terrible writers control people's minds with highly repetitive advice. <laughs> it all makes sense to me now because I recently read that scientists have worked out that emotional pain is processed on the right side of the brain, and that engaging in any sort of left brain activity, such as doing your tax returns, or get this, reading, diverts attention from the right side's distress. So basically left brain activities, like reading, work like sugar. I had no idea. So what is the moral of this story? <clears throat> that you should absolutely judge a book by its cover? That being in love can cause brain damage, but there's nothing you can do about it anyway? That the best way to break an addiction is to replace it with another? That all bad times will come to pass? Who knows? It's a riddle. And anyway, the only thing more annoying than someone explaining the moral of the story are people who say, you really shouldn't think so much. <laughs> Some of us are born this way, and we have to work really, really, really hard not to get a whole lot worse. Thank you very much. Okay, everybody.
your attention, please. The second half is starting, and so, yeah, that's better. Uh, so, right, to so kick off part two, we have a set of Rocker Pops music from Anton Frank. You can find his music at antonfrank.co.uk, and he's, uh, he's always on Facebook and Twitter, so you can find him there as well, Anton Frank. Give you Anton. Hoodies as modelled by me, uh, t-shirts as modelled by me, 
uh, mugs, badges, and even underwear that you can buy for an extraordinarily pricey price from our website. Uh, or if you prefer, you can donate some money uh, or to try and help us to make this the best night that we can do, or even break even, that would be always good. And uh, you can read and hear lots of past and future tragedy at www.standuptragedy.co.uk. So if you're a fan of the logo, go and check out www.shavenravendesigns.co.uk where you can find out how to get such a great logo and other brilliant design work done for you at a very reasonable price by a fantastic designer. We're releasing extracts uh, of the night and all of the nights as free podcasts available through iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher Smart Radio. The tragedy is over. So let's all leave together. The tragedy is over. So let's all leave together. I also wanted to just tell you about my other podcast, Getting Better Acquainted, where I interview people that I know. Conversations that are really worth listening to. Go to www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk for more details, or you can find it on iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. The next stand-up tragedy live show is going to be at the Leicester Square Theatre on the 4th of June. Don't bother with the Jubilee. Come and have some tragedy.